Hey, this is Lance, your host of yesterday's concert. You're probably wondering why there's this weird Thursday drop. That's because I want to introduce you to my new show, Jam Journals. For the seasoned yesterday's concert listeners, this is where the show started. Originally, we were a nostalgia trip wrapped up in an audio drama, reminiscing on the nearly 1,000 concerts I've attended. The stories I told were intended to reconnect music fanatics to the live show of their favorite artist. However, each episode took roughly 40 hours to create, and were always a labor of love. As you can imagine, an eight-episode season was quite the time commitment. Over time, it became a more daunting task to regularly produce and release them than I ever imagined. As a result, in late 2022, yesterday's concert unintentionally transitioned into an interview show. We always did encore episodes where we spoke with an artist between seasons, but I quickly remembered why I originally wanted to be a music journalist in college. I enjoy talking to musicians about their art. So to better manage my podcasting outputs, I started a new show called Jam Journals. This is where I'll show those audio dramas that yesterday's concert was founded on. However, on a much more manageable schedule. New episodes drop every other Tuesday. And as of right now, I already have a year's worth of content in the books, and I can't wait to share them with you. The first episode of Jam Journals is already live in the feed, but I wanted to share it here and encourage you to follow the link in the description to subscribe. This is a very fond concert memory for me, one that shaped much of who I am. It's a sentimental one, that's for sure. So to recap real fast, yesterday's concert is now music interviews. Jam Journals is the live music audio dramas. Got it? Good. So without further ado, here's the first episode of Jam Journals. I hope you enjoy it. Jam Journals is a proud partner of yesterday's concert podcast and member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Luminescent strips race through the vehicle like a jump to hyperspace. However, the back seat was anything but intergalactic travel. Time lingered for unknown periods. It wouldn't have been a surprise to me if it had been five minutes or five hours. My head floated in that weird early hour space where you're unsure if you're lucid dreaming or just sleep deprived. Rolling onto my side, I faced the back seat. My hips already ached from the position I had forced them into. Turns out a mid-sized sedan is no holiday inn. I'd spill out of the back seat with tired eyes and numb knees, which could be any minute now, or it could be hours away. We were somewhere on the back roads of Alabama, or maybe we'd already made it back to Mississippi. I wasn't sure, but I was violating the terms of our agreement. I was supposed to be asleep. It was a school night after all, and I was too nervous to sleep. My dad was in the driver's seat. His left hand rested atop the steering wheel. His fingers tapped the dashboard in rhythm with whatever droll was coming from the classic rock station that softly played in the background. Classic rock. Are his eyes still open? I wondered to myself. Odd scenarios in meeting the finish line with my dad asleep at the wheel ran through my jury mind. I chuckled at the thought of pulling into our garage only to find my father snoring at the steering wheel. I leaned forward enough to glimpse my father's eyes. Albeit droopy, they were still open. His gaze was unflinching. Regardless of what time it was, the moonlight drive was nothing short of an impressive feat. My dad was a man who was in bed and asleep most nights by eight. Yet here we are, six hours past that, or maybe it was seven. Either way, he was pursuing the impossible. It made no difference to check on him though. If I asked if he was okay, I already knew his response. Yeah, I'm good. You need to go back to sleep though. As the highway continued to nowhere, the dull hum of the road began to take me. Its steady rhythm was the best white noise. Like a fussy baby, I couldn't resist the road's siren song. Despite all the discomforts of the back seat, 
I found myself fighting to keep my eyes open. Must watch. Home already? Welcome concert goers, music fanatics, and guitar gods. My name is Lance Ingram, and in this episode of Jam Journals, we open up the pages to October 18th, 2006. Grab your earplugs as we go to the BJCC Arena in Birmingham, Alabama for Eric Clapton. Go ahead, ask me. Ask me what my plans are tonight. I was practically begging anyone and everyone. I tease people with offhand comments that beg to follow up question. In high school, the highs and lows of life are magnified by the obsessions of your teenage brain. When you're cool, there's no one like you. It's difficult not to think you're hot stuff when you're saddled with a situation your peers only dreamt of. Hey James, what are you doing tonight? Well, I don't know man, might go hang out with Allie. Oh that's cool, I'm going to see Eric Clapton tonight. It was completely forced. There was no room for conversation or niceties. It was unfiltered bragging at this point. The last minute plans were unmatched by my peers. Whenever someone went to see live music, it's because said live music came to town. We were teenagers. Most of us had pit hair longer than we'd had our driver's license. There weren't kids making grand expeditions to see live music. This was unparalleled ground. What? I I didn't know he was coming to Jackson. He's not coming to Mississippi, bro. He's playing in Birmingham. My dad and I are driving over tonight. You could simultaneously hear the mix of jealousy and disappointment. Everyone wanted bragging rights of seeing Clapton, but they didn't want to be inconvenienced with traveling to the show. Being teenagers, they'd want to play it off, maintain cool. There's only a certain amount of cool points to be awarded in the dog-eat-dog world of teendom. Why are you going with your dad, though? I knew the comment well. As teenagers, we were programmed to avoid relationships with our parents. The best parent was one that bankrolled the fun but stayed out of the way. But that's rarely how they existed, or at least how mine did. It was completely unintentional on his behalf, but I owe my musical heritage to my dad. Granted, I never called him blaring love gun, but family outings meant him working through cassette tapes of Boston, Electric Light Orchestra, Simon and Garfunkel, The Eagles, his personal favorite, The Beatles. It became a soundtrack to car rides with dad. Like every budding teenager, whatever my parents did was automatically uncool. He could have cured the most incurable disease, and I'd still find a reason to scoff. But once I got exposed to rock and roll, something clicked. I wanted a taste of those tapes. The mystic rock gods had reached down from their great gig in the sky and whispered in my soul. It was that proud papa moment when your teen has to eat crow, but you also get to imprint your taste on your offspring. Hey, hey, hey dad, can I borrow that Boston CD? However, instead of admitting hypocrisy, I bought my own copy of Boston's self-titled debut album. And overnight, I was a junkie. Classic rock was my drug of choice. It was like that scene in Almost Famous where young William Miller is flipping through all the records his sister left him. My mind's eye had been awakened. This new interest in classic rock opened a door for my dad. Our shared interest gave him an easy access to open conversation with me during those awkward teenage years. We turn on some classic rock radio and sit in the mastery of Giants. He'd tell me stories about growing up with the James Gang on the radio, what it was like seeing Frampton in concert, how he still thinks Electric Light Orchestra was ahead of their time. But ultimately, 
He would repeatedly tell me how he never imagined his son would be listening to the same music he did at my age. As a young teenager, my dad was my OG concert buddy. And honestly, I didn't mind it, because all that mattered was getting to the show. Sure, I'd rather have gone with a friend or my girlfriend, but the end game was adding a notch to the concert belt. How I got there, I didn't care. Plus, he was about the only other person I knew that was into the same music as me. He took me to my first show. We saw legends together, and for the longest time, he was the first person I'd asked to go to a concert with me. But when it came to seeing Eric Clapton in concert, this would be my toughest sell yet. Not because my dad didn't like Clapton. The show was on a Wednesday night. No big deal, right? Except as mentioned, it was in a different state. A full three and a half hour drive away. I was months away from graduating high school, and education was a major part of my parents' ideology. It was a stretch, and I'm not sure what gave me the gumption that I should ask. But in youthful naivety, I went for it. Hey, hey, Dad, I was, I was wondering if we could go see Eric Clapton. Oh, I didn't know he was coming to Jackson. When's he coming? Well, well, he's not. He's playing in Birmingham. Well, what weekend is he playing? It's actually on a Wednesday night. He didn't shoot it down, but he gave it that classic parent no call. Let me think about it. The opportunity was as good as dead in the water. I had little hope of it happening. But when it came time for report cards and your boy crushed it that semester, my dad had a change of heart. Since you've been diligent in your studies, and you're a senior, we'll go see Clapton. You can't miss all of the next day, but we'll get a hotel and have you back to school by second period. I think what really happened was my dad was interested in the show all along. It was looking for an excuse to make it happen. The report card was just his green light. When it was finally show day, Everyone knew I was going. Oh wow, that's so cool. Some people were more impressed than others. Who's Eric Clapton? But when the 2.30 bell rang, I stared at the intercom waiting for it to call my name. My father, ever the punctual one, was there to bounce me from my prison cell. Lance Ingram, your father is here to check you out. Like the Roman Empire, Star Wars, or J. Lo's green Versace dress, this was one for the history books. Except for this show, it's difficult to put into words my disappointment. He was no showman in the traditional sense. He wasn't the rock star that hung from the rafters. Nor was he the charming frontman with witty banner. This was just another in a long line of misconceptions I had as a teenager that not all entertainers are created equal. It takes seeing Clapton a second time to understand that sometimes the best philosophy was to quote unquote, just shut up and play your instrument especially for an artist that has a history of sticking his foot in his mouth. But I hate the idea of saying I was disappointed by the show because I feel that does a disservice to what I witnessed. Fortunately, when I listen back to the bootleg of the show, I can rediscover what I heard was more than what I remember. In retrospect, many of the memories about that night are tied up in re-listening to the audience tape. It takes me back to sitting in the rafters with my dad. It wasn't a sold-out audience. The seats were sparsely sold enough that I wanted to move down several rows to get a closer spot, but my dad wasn't into the idea of sitting in seats that we didn't pay for. Clapton opened the show with Pretending, a song I was unfamiliar with, a trend that would overtake the night and partially play into influencing my disappointment. But it didn't take long for me to get what I came for. As a rock and roll guitar god wannabe, there was no confusion as to what attracted me to Clapton's music. Like the old graffiti once read, Clapton is God. 
The room sounded like a tin can, yet little distracted me from the guitarist. His fingers moved with precision and clarity. There wasn't a bum note or a wrong chord change. It wasn't an exhibition of style. There was no flash, razzbazazz, or sparkle. Everything about it lived up to his nickname, Slowhand. The rock and roll conservatist within me was elated. That was Eric Clapton, and I was 17 and witnessing perhaps the largest marquee name that I'd ever seen in concert at that point. There was no denying the significance of the man who stood on the stage. It was the axe work that inspired everyone from Leonard Skinner to the Beatles. Internally, I knew I should be impressed, and the idea of grandeur resonated heavily within me. But I knew I wasn't feeling what I wanted to feel. These days, I can recognize that it wasn't an underappreciation, but a lack of understanding. I was captured by inexperience. I was a teenager, a young dummy, a cock rock guitar man. I wanted to be wowed like it was 1974, but Clapton was nearing my grandparents in age. At some point during the song, I recognized Eric's sideman guitarist. I saw the opportunity to impress my dad with my rock and roll knowledge. The guy on the red guitar playing backup? That's the same guitarist that played with the Allman Brothers band when we saw them back in May. Do you remember him? I wouldn't find out until later that the guitarist was Derek Trucks, quite possibly the best living guitarist and someone who will undoubtedly live forever in the pantheon of guitar legends. Much like Clapton, his showmanship is in his skills, not his presentation. Wasting no time, the band transitioned into a reggae number. The energy bounced around the tin can and the crowd cheered in excitement. I shot the sheriff, but I did not shoot the deputy. In youthful naivety, I loved this song. It was a campy fight against authority. While the actual meaning of the lyrics is up for debate, the greater statement that it's been used to speak of police corruption completely flew over my head. I'm not even sure I knew the song was written by Bob Marley. Listening back to the tape, I realized that Clapton's voice was exceptionally strong, especially for 61. It's something I've never associated with the guitar man, but gave me pause on the re-listen. It's something I highly doubt that I would even be cognizant of during the show. If anything, I feigned for wild guitar acrobats, a la Kiss. Little Lance had so much to learn. Going into this concert, I had two Eric Clapton albums, The Cream of Clapton, an oddly entitled Greatest Hits Package. The track list consisted of four Cream songs, a couple from Blind Faith, Eric's biggest solo hits, and of course, the classic Layla. I also owned 461 Ocean Boulevard for the aforementioned I Shot the Sheriff. But that was about the extent to my Clapton comprehension. Meager, I know. Even as I recollect now, I struggle to avoid gatekeeping myself. I didn't know Eric Clapton. I knew a few radio hits. But in rock and roll purity, I was there to pay my classic rock respects. But for much of the set, I was left clueless as to what song he was playing. Even a song like Old Love, which was an exceptionally jammy, I was oblivious. With the opener Robert Cray sitting in, Clapton, Trucks, and Cray held their own mini Crossroads Festival. And as much as I likely enjoyed the guitar interplay, I was left wondering where the hits were. What about Let It Grow? I Can't Stand It. Hello, Old Friend blues power. I mean, they even finished Old Love and started Any Day, the classic Derek and the Dominoes track. I didn't know that was even being played. I didn't know Any Day. Alright, I can't stand it anymore. I've got to gatekeep myself. What was I doing here? Thinking about the set now, if I was in attendance today and they started playing Any Day, 
I jump out of my seat and scream. This is a classic rock gold. I mean, I didn't even know a single Derek and the Dominoes song outside of Layla. What kind of poser was I? I'm going to see Eric Clapton even though I don't know one iota about his discography. My dude, chill out. I needed to cut myself some slack. It's easy to lose the context of the times. This was 2006. Streaming wasn't a thing yet. I barely had two years of classic rock knowledge under my belt. There's more than 30 years of back catalog to catch up on. Even 20 years later, I'm still discovering classic rock legends. I mean, the other day I just listened to Tears for Fears for the first time. Tears for Fears! But show some respect for yourself. I was deeply immersed in the world of classic rock. Every chance I got, I was buying new albums. The Who, Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, The Rolling Stones, The Beatles, Aerosmith, and so on. Like I said, that scene from Almost Famous. Not to mention, it's not like Clapton has a small discography. Even if you look outside of his collaborative projects pre-1970, his solo discography is larger than many of the classic rock giants. And he's still releasing new material. What mattered was I was there to respect the artistry and knew its significance. Even if the mega classics like Layla and Cocaine were the songs that shot me out of my seat instead of songs from a 1989 solo project, then who cares? Those songs were monsters. At this point in my teenage career, crawling into the back seat had exciting implications. However, tonight it was a peace treaty. There was no point in asking to ride shotgun or even taking shifts behind the driver's seat. This was the deal we reached if I was going to go to the show. I had to sleep on the way home. If this was an NBA trade, the fans on my dad's team would say it was a lopsided trade. After a three plus hour midnight drive, we made it home with no incident or foul. As soon as I laid my head down in my bed, my alarm was bellowing and it was time for school. Gotta get up for that life or death meeting. I walked into the classroom wearing my freshly minted black Eric Clapton tour shirt. Through tired eyes, I beamed with pride. Ask me about the show. I internally pleaded. For all my misunderstandings about the show, memory tells me that I still thought highly of it. It was a classic rock legend. It had to have been great, right? The meeting came and went without a single nod or mention of the shirt. Feeling dejected, I began the procession to the first period. How was it? I heard shouted from behind. I turned to see James walking behind me, backpack slumped over one shoulder. He pointed his finger guns at me before patting Clapton's face on the front of my shirt. Dude, you saw Eric Clapton. Was it killer? He said it as he played air guitar. I waxed poetic about a show different from the one that I recall. He shredded, man. It was so awesome. A few minutes later, I bumped into my friend, Chelsea. She ran to me and pouted. Why didn't you call me last night? I told you to call me if you played Tears in Heaven. I wanted to hear that song. Well, he didn't play it. I had my phone ready to give you a shout, but he never did. My high school girlfriend, Sarah, she texted me to say that she couldn't wait to hear all about the show at lunch. As a classic rock fan herself, she gushed at every detail over her peanut butter sandwich. I felt so recalling all the moments of guitar wizardry. In respect, all of that's cool, and I'm glad I got to go see Clapton. But the thing that I look back on most fondly is the experience I shared in the least, which is the time with my dad. As I said, we went to a lot of classic rock concerts together, but in my memories, this is the one that stands out. 
even if the concert doesn't. Not only did he inspire me that a three-hour post-show drive ain't no thing, but he proved to me the lengths of a loving father would go to for his son. There was no part of that evening he had to do. It was exceptionally above and beyond the call of fatherhood. It wasn't paramount to my growth as a human, nor was it something that I deserved. Aside from the more apparent sacrifices of time, money, and sleep, he also sacrificed his own safety to give me that concert. With enough similar drives under my belt, I can understand that for a man whose bedtime is 8 p.m., driving home on deep south back roads after midnight is no small feat. But he did it because he's my father, and he loves me. When I was parading my new Eric Clapton shirt that day at school, I'm not sure I ever mentioned his heroics. It was all me and Eric, never the true reality of me and my dad. As I've aged, I can look back on this show and not care about how little I remember the concert. It's overshadowed by my father's love. Clapton's music is great and all, but look at the example my father set for me. This isn't a normal thing. For many, their father was non-existent or presently absent. I don't think it's unreasonable to say that every child desires and deserves a father who would make such a sacrifice. Why was I so fortunate to get that? I have no clue. It's difficult to comprehend and borderline guilt-inducing. That day as I paraded my new Eric Clapton Fall 2006 tour shirt, when asked how the show was, I wish I would have answered differently. Instead of rambling about guitar solos, I wish I answered, Clapton was good, but let me tell you about my dad. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.